0: Chapter 23 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 23 How One Lover Took Leave of His Wits, and Two Came to Their Senses. But Mr. Fogo was not to try again on the morrow, for Caleb, stealing up in the grey dawn to assure himself that his master was comfortably asleep, found him tossing in a high fever and rode down to Troy for dear life and the doctor. Returning, he found that the fever had become delirium. Foger indeed, was sitting up in bed, and rattling off proposals of marriage at the rate of some six a minute, without break or pause. He was very red and earnest, rolled his eyes most strangely, and wandered in his address from Tamsin to Geraldine and back again, with a vehemence that gravelled all logic. "'Lord mercy!" cried Caleb at last. "'Do yash, that's a dear!' It is sinful all these gallons of true affection are running to waste. "'You're too loving by half,' as Sands said when his wife got hugged by a bear. "'What do ye think, sir?' The last sentence was addressed to the little doctor, who, after staring at the patient for some minutes without noticeable result, nodded his head, announced that the fever must run its course, and promised to send a capable nurse up to Kit's house without delay. I'm "'Begging your pardon, doctor,' interposed Caleb with firmness, "'but I've got my orders.' Huh? Eh? Have I got my orders? Please God, I'm with plenty of doctor's trade. i will pull pullin' round, but nobody in the is Master, except you and me, "'Least we's no woman kind. This is nonsensical. Nonsensical? Do ye say? Look here, doctor. Do ye think I'd trust a woman up here with Master and making offers of marriage sixteen to the dozen? Why, bless ye, sir! He'd be down and have the band called afore night. And Master not fit to shake his head, much less say as the prayer book orders. I're all. "'That's a woman, doctor, and if any of the genteel sex set foot on Kitts Beach, I'll—I'll I'll stone her!' The doctor gave way in the end, and withdrew, promising another visit before evening. When he returned, however, at five in the afternoon, he found with some wonder a woman quietly installed in the sick-room. It happened thus. Barely an hour after the doctor's departure, Caleb, sitting at his master's bedside, heard footsteps on the gravel walk and looked out of the window. "'Hist,' he called softly, and Peter Dearlove, followed by Paul, stepped round the angle of the house into sight. The twins bore a look of the gravest perplexity and a large market-basket. "Halloa," said Caleb. "'What's up?' The pair looked at each other. At length Peter began with a serious face and unwonted formality of tone. "'Is Mr. in?" "'Why, yes,' said Caleb aloud. "'He's inside. "'We've the wishing to request of the pleasure.' Yeah, Peter looked at Paul, who nodded. An interval of five minutes. Interview, corrected Paul. I misdoubt, sounded his brother, that you are wrong, Paul. I remember the expression upon the programme or a slate or entertainment, and there he said an interval, an interval of five minutes. That's so. Broke in Caleb from above with fine irony. Perhaps you wouldn't mind handing up your visiting cards and doing the thing proper. At present, master's busy. Busy. Yes. A making proposal of marriage, which is a serious thing and not to be interrupted. The twins set down the basket and stared at each other. Paul was the first to recover. If 'tis fully allowable to put the question, Peter and me would like to know the young lady's name. Tis making bold to ask, but there's a reason. Well, said Caleb, disappearing for a moment and then poking his head forth again, at the present moment tis a party answering to the name of Geraldine. A minute ago, t'was, but may you be better step up and see for yourself. What? Step up and see. Now, Peter, said the twin, turning from Caleb to contemplate his brother, put in the case, and par be it for me to say it couldn't be, as you was paying your addresses to a young lady answering to the name of Geraldine, which you wouldn't be called that anyway, and put in the case as you was a making offers of marriage, and a pair of twin brothers, same as you and me might be, "'walked up to the front door, bumped in, afore you'd well finished "'talking of the weather prospects. "'Being a slow man, though a sure. All. "'Now what I want to know is, "'would you like it yourself?' "'No, I shouldn't.' "'Well, I reckon not. "'And that being so, "'goes the word.' "'Afore Peter talks about getting a wife,' in Caleb, "'he'd better read about Peter's wife's mother. "'She was sick with a fever, I've heard, "'and so's Master.' "'If you don't believe, "'walk up and see.' "'Cos tain't good for a sick man to have all this palaverin outside his windy.' The twins stared, whispered together, took off their boots, and softly entered the house. At the door of the sick-room Caleb met them. "'Brain-fever,' he whispered, "'which is only catching for them as has brains to catch it with.' The trio stood together at the foot of the bed on which Mr. Fogo tossed and chattered. Peter and Paul looked from the sick man to their hats and back again in silence. At length the elder twin spoke. In the matter o' behaving rum, some folks does it with corals, and others not so. But I reckon if you allows as there's likely a because you're upon the safe side, especially with Mr. Fogel. Wherefore, Caleb, what's the meaning of this here? Tamsin! The answer came so pat from the sick man's lips that Peter fairly jumped. Caleb looked up with his finger on lip and a curious smile on his weather-tanned face. Don't leave me. Look there are devils around me cold white devils devils with blank faces no features only flesh look sunday monday tuesday every day with the devil every day in the year look look poor soul whispered paul And his leap year too which makes one extra don't leave me tamsin don't leave me the sick man's voice rose to a scream keller bent forward and tried to soothe him the mahogany faces of the twins were blanched they whispered apart he was right, Peter.' "'Aye, more's the pity, I thought the lass Miss Langton, the bigger fool I. "'It so was only yesterday I guessed more was troubling her than our soiled gown, "'and taxed her with it. "'We used to pride ourselves on knowing her once afore I spoke. "'And now—' weakly, concluded with a sigh. "'Bring times in down, and help me here,' said Caleb, from across the room. "'The pair started. "'That is,' he went on, "'if she'll come. "'You are, master. "'Well, he said pretty much the same to her yesterday.' so I won't be frightened. Leastways, go and say you'll come in yourself to help Nuss, cos if you won't help Nuss him alone, and if that's the case, you're a queer pair of questions, as the devil said to the two black pigs. Fact is, hesitated Peter, I'd not learnt so much last evening from Tamsin, though she remained loath to tell, and Paul agreed as we'd go this morning and tell Mr. Fogo, as to not right for him to set his thoughts upon Tamsin, who isn't a lady, "'nor to put notions in her head, as will give her a pain hereafter. "'And that's all about it. "'And us brought a whack of vegetable produce along with us, "'just to show there was no ill feelings. "'But as it turns out, neither argument, nor vegetables being acceptable "'to a party that's six with a fever, "'I'd be clean floor for what to do.' "'Well, I've told ye. "'And I'll don't let the grass grow beneath your feet, "'cause it will grow fast enough over your head some day.' "'The twins, unable to cope with Caleb's determination,' stole noiselessly out. And thus it was that when, later in the afternoon, the little doctor returned, he found Peter and Paul in large blue aprons, busy helping downstairs, and Tamsin, bright-eyed and warm of cheek, seated by the sick man's bedside. The following morning, which the reader, should he care to calculate, will find to be Tuesday, Admiral Buzzer dropped his newspaper with a start, and glared across the breakfast-table. "'What is it, my love?' inquired his wife. "'Nothing wrong, I hope.' "'Wrong? Oh, no!' replied the Admiral grimly. "'Nothing wrong. Oblige me by listening to this, madam.' He took up the paper and read aloud. "'Another dynamite plot! A whole town deceived extraordinary proceedings! Escape of the suspected persons! The dynamite fiends still at large!' The existence of another of these atrocious conspiracies aimed at the security of our public buildings and the safety of peaceful citizens has been brought to light by certain recent occurrences of the romantic little seaport town of Troy. We have reason to believe that the suspicions of the police have been for some time aroused, and it is to their unaccountable dilatoriness we owe it that the conspirators have for the time made good their escape, and still continue to menace our lives and property. It appears that some months back a couple giving the names of the honourable mr and mrs goodwin sandys samuel if you cannot eat an ordinary egg without clattering the spoon in that unseemly manner i must ask you to suspend your meal until i have finished Uh, um, appeared at troy as tenants of one of the most fashionable villa residences in that town the elite (laughs) of the neighbourhood too easily conjoled (laughs) a little suspecting their villainous designs received the newcomers with out arms and a lamentable lack of inquisitiveness well really put in mrs buzzer i don't know what they called inquisitiveness if a brass telescope why sam dear how pale you are fairness, we can hardly bring ourselves to say the connivance of the custom-house officials they were allowed to land with impunity a considerable quantity of dynamite with which on saturday night they decamped their disappearance remained unsuspected up to a later hour on sunday morning when the bar was visited and to borrow the words of the great master of prose "'Non sunt inventi. "'The neatness with which the escape was executed "'points to the disquieting conclusion "'that they did not want for assistance.' "'I'll ask you to excuse me,' said Sam, "'rising abruptly and leaving the room. "'A sick terror possessed his heart. "'Visions of the dock and the felon's cell followed him "'as he picked up his hat and crept into the street. "'Outside the morning was serene, "'with the promise of a broiling noon. "'But as far as Sam was concerned, "'this would have been better.' he shivered. At the corner of the street he met the local policeman, and winced. But far, far worse was it with Mr. Moggridge, to whose lodgings his steps were bent. The poet, as Sam entered, was seated as nearly as possible on the small of his back, before the breakfast-table. If mental anguish could be expressed by unkempt hair and a disordered cravat, that of Mr. Moggridge was extreme, and the untasted bloater, pushed aside and half-concealed by the newspaper, Was full of lurid significance. Sam paused at the door. The two friends had barely spoken for more than a month. Three days ago they had all but fought. All this, however, was forgotten now. "'Is that you, Sam? Come in.' Then, having displayed the olive branch, the poet waved the newspaper feebly, and groaned. Uh, "'Mogridge, old man. Sam? What a pair of asses we've been." it moaned and pointed to the paper i know nodded sam is it true do you think forebodes said mr moggridge collapsing still further my heart forebodes tis true tis true then deck my shroud about with rue and lay me neath the dismal pooh broke in Stuff and nonsense man it's bad for you i know but after all i'm the sufferer the collector of customs turned a glassy stare upon him "'I carried the bag up to Five Lanes. "'I put the infernal stuff into her very hands. "'I—' "'You?' "'Sam nodded desperately. "'She asked me to elope with her, "'to meet her at Five Lanes.' "'Mr. Morgridge staggered up to his feet "'and fumbled at his waistcoat pocket. "'You're mad!' he gasped. "'She asked me to elope with her, "'me to meet her at the top of Troy Hill. "'Look here!' "'He held out a crumpled letter. "'Sam took it, glanced at it, produced an exactly similar note, and handed it to his friend. They read each the other's letters, sentence by sentence, and in doleful antiphon. At the conclusion they looked up, and met each other's gaze. Whereat, Mr. Moggridge smote his brow, and cried, "'False! false!' While Sam pushed his hands deep into his trouser-pockets, and emitted a long breath, as though, his cup being full, he must needs blow off the froth. "'Do you mean to say?' he asked after a pause, that you helped her to land the stuff. "'I thought it was tea. "'And you never examined it? "'She told me it was tea.' Muggage, you've been given away,' as the Yankees put it. "'I have been sold, which is bad, but you have been given away, which is worse.' "'You were sold for love, which is pretty much the same, I take it, as being given away?' objected the poet testily. "'Not at all the same, Muggridge, as being given away.' with half a pound of tea. End of chapter 23